Welcome to Life Church. We are an ex 242 community, a family on a mission to bring the life of Jesus to Warrington. We hope you're ready to hear what God has to say to you today through His Word and by His Spirit. Okay, what love does, and I'm doing the last one, which is the Great Commission. And the Great Commission um, scripture I'm going to use tonight is from Matthew chapter 28. I'm just going to read it to you, verse 18. And it says, And Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been, give, I, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The Great Commission. And I want to look at this um, because we need to understand uh, and I need to understand where this lies in my own life and where it lies in your life. In fact, I'll ask the big question tonight. Is the Great Commission for everybody? Is the Great Commission for the church? Or was the Great Commission given to these individual disciples that were being sent out? I'm not going to give you my answer, but I'm just going to go through a little bit of, just give me 10 minutes to go through the background of the lead up to these disciples being commissioned and being sent out into the world. You see, Jesus was sent into uh, an area where it was just right for him to pick the right people the right men to receive this commission. And he went and picked his disciples from the area of Galilee. And, and Galilee is, is very often commented in the Bible as being full of commoners. They said the Galileans were common people. But a lot of this came from those that were from Jerusalem, further in the mountains, and they, they just looked on them as just being laborers, just being out by the sea, being fishermen, just being common people. But actually, when you study a little bit, the Galileans were the most committed and devoted people to the scriptures, to the Torah, um, and they were, they were well known for um, their, their understanding of the Bible. And so Jesus was planted in this area so that he could deliver his message to these people that had a great understanding. Because they were devoted to scripture and, and most of the rabbis came from Galilee and around that area because of their upbringing. And these, these guys were, were great. And, the, and I think that one of the reasons why Jesus went to these fellas because they lived by the sea. And one of the interpretations of Galilee is those that live by the way of the sea. 
And so they, they were relevant. They had an understanding of life. They saw trade coming in and out. They were conversing with lots of different people. And so they, they were very relevant in life. They were very up to date. Whereas those back in Jerusalem were sort of in a huddle. And they were in a bubble. And that they just sort of just kept themselves to themselves. And they were just debating religion amongst themselves. Whereas those in Galilee were, were just a different category of believers. Because they were relevant and they had a great understanding. And, and the, the uh, education process was called the Mishnah. So when they were five or six years old, they believed that they were ready for the Mishnah. That is for the education system of the Torah and understanding the Bible. And that's where a rabbi was given to a community to teach them and to help them uh, understand the scriptures and the Torah. So they started at a very young age being educated and coming into an understanding of what the Bible was all about. And at the age of 12, what happened then is that they were ready to learn a trade or to help at home. So very often, the, the, the girls would help around the home, and this is not being chauvinistic, that's just what happened back then. They helped around the home, and I was a house husband for a long time, so it's okay, I think I have license to say it. They used to help around the home. The young lads used to get involved in the family trade. And as we know, Jesus himself worked with his father, Joseph, and was a carpenter. And so that's what happened. And they continued to, to learn the Torah, to learn the scriptures, and get involved in, in their trade and in their, in their life skills. And then when they got between the age of 15 to 18, they had a choice to choose to be under a rabbi and to follow a rabbi. And very often it was the students that had done well, that had, that had uh, listened well, and had, had, had got to a level of education where that they could seek out a rabbi. And that was a very, um, very special relationship. And so a, a student could be called, become part of the Talmudin. And so that young student would be a Talmud. And he would have a rabbi, a personal rabbi. And what I found interesting looking into this, that the most special students, a rabbi would come and choose them. And that's where Jesus, looking further down the road, went and chose the disciples. That's why they knew that it was very important. After they had gone through their teaching with Jesus, when he chose them and commissioned them, they knew that that was important because they were chosen by their rabbi to go and keep sending the message. And, and this relationship that the student had with their rabbi was a, a very intensive relationship. And they devoted themselves to the rabbi. And the difference between a student and a Talmud was a student just wanted the information to pass the grade. 
And there's nothing wrong with that. They wanted to achieve the grade. They wanted to get there, whatever level it was, um, in, in, in the understanding of the Torah. But a Talmud wanted a little bit more. And he wanted to be like his rabbi. And so what he did is he followed the rabbi and he lived with him and he talked with him and he watched him. And more than wanting to understand the information, he wanted to be a replica of his rabbi. That was the background in which the Great Commission came. And the same process happened with these disciples, that they followed their rabbi. They followed Jesus. And they, when they left their nets, they left everything behind, just like the Talmud did, and became devoted to their rabbi, wanting to replicate everything that their rabbi did. They watched Jesus heal the blind. They watched their rabbi raise the dead. They watched their rabbi break bread and feed thousands of people. But they not only watched it, but they wanted to replicate it. They wanted to go out and do the very same thing. Because they wanted to imitate their rabbi. And that Talmud, once he improved in his education, he then had the right to freshly interpret the scriptures. And he could make fresh applications of what he was beginning to understand. So there was a growth in this Talmud. And once he began to understand the Torah and the, the Old Testament and the Bible and what they understood as the Scriptures, they could begin to interpret it and begin to articulate it and drop it into people's world, just like Jesus did. He couldn't make reference back to a sower, as we heard tonight, it's not in the Bible back then. But he had an understanding of what the Torah was about and what his God was about. And he was able to give a fresh interpretation of the Bible and be relevant to the people he was talking to. And he was able to deliver a message into people's worlds that would change them, that would help them. And at 30, the Talmud could then go and be a rabbi themselves. And we, when you look at it, it's interesting because Jesus went through exactly the same process. And at 30, he began his ministry. And so all his understanding was not just divinely given. He worked hard as a young man. He had to, because they all never had a copy of the Bible. They all never had a copy of the Torah. They had to memorize hundreds and hundreds of pages off by heart. And if they did need to remember something or go back, they had to go back to the synagogue and use the shared scroll. So it was important that they memorize. So Jesus spent time learning and educating himself. And this is what these disciples that were given the commission 
understood and that's what they did they came from that background and then their rabbi dropped into their life and said leave your nets and follow me the Galileans were passionate dedicated and devoted and Jesus dropped right into that environment so when Jesus gave the great commission it was of no surprise to these disciples they knew it was coming. They knew it was coming because as of the rabbi-Talmud relationship, there would come a time when the rabbi would go and they would carry on spreading the same message. And so when Jesus said, I'm going to be taken from you, but I want you to go into all the world and preach the gospel, they knew exactly what it was about. Where does that now play out in my life today? Does everybody get that call? I grew up in a church where it, it was preached that, you know, that we all need to go out into the world and preach the gospel and into the uttermost parts of the world. So we always sort of wondered, when's my turn what, and, and there was a frustration for many years because I'm thinking I've got to work and I've got to do this and I've got to do that. And, and, and when I began to understand a little bit of the background, I began to settle and think, okay, where does this sit in my world? And if I'm not called to go out into all the world, then what is my commission? How do I share the good news? And that's where I want to drop in tonight. Because it's for those that move from a student to a Talmud. And I believe it's a personal and an individual call. Some students didn't move on to the Great Commission. Most of the students just stayed at home and did what they needed to do. And you know what? Not all of us will get that great... I don't believe anyway that we will all get the great commission. You know, when Paul was writing in Romans 15, and he was going on his journeys, and he was going to... Um, I think he was uh, going through Asia and, and saying all the different places he was going. Not, there were some people that wanted to go, and he said, no, you need to stay here and just be a support to me. And so that they would gather gifts together. They would give him money so that he could go and take the gospel. And he made it his priority to take the gospel where it had never been took before. And so everybody in the church there in Romans 15, they, they were helping him by going to work and supplying the money. We've heard it from Lucas tonight that he thanked us all for the giving that we give here so that we can pay some of our staff to do that that job, that we can pay some of those people and, and missionaries and support them while they've gone into the world because we go out and work during the week to throw money in the basket. You're as part of the Great Commission as what they are. And when we begin to see that, we begin to see that they are, they are no more special than me 
And I'm no more special than them. But in the great scheme of the great commission, we all play our part. So as I go to work on Tuesday and shout at men not wearing high, high visits and not wearing their helmets, as you go into school and you shout at students and, and kids for not listening and messing around and playing footsie under the table or whatever goes, goes on in your place of work, you're doing that, and, there, and, there's, and the part of that money you then throw into life church that somebody else will go and help. And so that's, I believe, the way it works. But what is important? That the Talmud committed to growth. And I think in the meantime, while we're doing what we're doing, and I learned this as a young man when I realized there was a few times that I thought I was going to get me called. There was one time I was very, very close at 20 years old, very close thinking that this is my big break. And then it all came tumbling down. The next minute, I was sat on two bags of plaster in the back of a rickety old white van with my head in my hands thinking... It's not happened again. It's all fell through, thinking that that is the ultimate. But I realized then that that was all part of my schooling. And doing what I was doing and going to work and, and just learning and studying and going to church and all the stuff was all part of my growth, as I see now, looking back as a Talmud. And I think it's important that we have a Talmud relationship with our Rabbi Jesus and that we follow him and that we read, and that we, and we get an understanding of the Scriptures, an understanding of Him, and allow His love to, to fill our hearts so that we get a greater understanding of Him. So what does love do? This series is called, What Does Love, What Is Love? Love does. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 15, it says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. So in the meantime, if you um, don't feel that you're in the Great Commission, as in these disciples, it does say that we are to be prepared to give an answer for the hope that is in us. That's where most of us sit tonight, that we must be prepared to give uh, an answer for the hope that lies within us with gentleness and with respect. And that's where I just want to major on in this last five or so minutes is that it's with that gentleness and with that respect that we become great communicators and articulators of the gospel. And we become great at um, showing the love of God and being able to explain it and to show it through our lives. And so as we grow in knowledge, wisdom, and understanding, um, we will, as the Talmud did, grow in its application. And the more that they understood and looked at their rabbi, they understood how to apply it into their everyday life. And as we grow, we begin to understand the fullness of the gospel, of all that God is, and begin to, to articulate it and, to, be, uh, and to, to connect with the people in our world.
And as we grow our identity and our vocabulary, it will speak for us. And we begin to express his love well in our life. Didn't it, doesn't it say quite a few times, doesn't this man speak with great authority? Who is this man that speaks with great authority? When Jesus went around in the synagogues and, and he went around in the towns many times, who is this man? In fact, when he calmed the seas, what did they say? What manner of man is this that can speak to the storm and still the storm? There was something about him. There was something about the way he conducted his life, the way he spoke with authority that they said, what kind of a person is this? And I think when we get good at sharing the hope that is within us, there comes an authority and there becomes a, a real clear um, way of articulating the gospel that people see and people understand. When Jesus was hung on the cross, he didn't do anything but bleed and die. But what was one of the last sayings that they said? Surely, this is the people that hung him on the cross. Surely, this was the son of God. When they saw him die in agony. And when they heard him say, forgive these, for they do not know what they do. And when they saw that he'd actually gave himself up. Rather than his legs being broken, they saw that he had surrendered his life and had given his life with so much dignity and so much authority that they turned around and looked at the cross and they looked at Jesus and said, surely this was the Son of God because of who he was and the way he hung there uh, and the way he gave himself. And I think it's important for us to grow. Listen to my little saying here. Going without growing causes poor sowing. Let me repeat that because it's mine. Going without growing causes poor or bad sowing. And we need to grow. We need to grow in our understanding and in our relationship with him so that we can sow well into people's lives. Jesus was deliberate in his conversation and his communication. He was always deliberate. You know, it says that when Jesus hit the spot when he met Zacchaeus, the Bible says he hit the spot. He, he knew where he was and what he was going to do. And it says that when Jesus hit the mark, he hit that cross on the ground he looked up in the tree and he said Zacchaeus come down because I'm coming to your house for tea I feel like breaking out into a chorus here he says but I'm coming to your house for tea why did he say that so simple he didn't say you filthy rotten sinner everybody around here despises you, everybody around here doesn't want you. No, he wasn't interested in all of that. He just said, I'm coming to your house for tea. Now remember, there was probably hundreds, probably thousands of people that wanted to hear that invite. 
This is the main preacher. This is the, this is the main man in the town. And there's probably lots of people that were more deserved for him to be at their table for tea. But he looks at this man who everybody despised, everybody hated. He was taking everybody's money. And he said, I'm coming to your house for tea. I wonder what that did in Zacchaeus's life. Because he knew that nobody wanted to know him. He knew he had to hang his head. He knew that he had to probably go around just, just being, being wary that someone's going to lynch him because he's taking too much money. And so he was an outcast that no one, no one liked him. He was despised. And yet in comes a man that says, I'm, I'm going to spend time with you. What a message to change a man's heart. So simple, so easy, and yet very often we miss great opportunities. Jesus was deliberate in the way he said his message. The adulterous woman, she was caught, it says, in the very act of adultery. So she was probably wearing very little or nothing at all because she was in the very act. And she was thrown in front of Jesus. And all the scribes and all the Pharisees were about to stone her. And they were expecting Jesus to join in. And Jesus said to all those that were about to stone her, you know the story. Those of you without sin cast the first stone. Now here's the woman, she's right in front of him. Here's the Son of God that is coming to die for the sin that she'd just been involved in. He was going to be whipped. He was going to be punched. He was going to have a crown of thorns put on his head. He was going to be in so much agony for what she was doing and being caught in. And yet he wasn't interested in what she had done. He was more interested in the people that were making her feel filthy, rotten and dirty. And he turned around to those scribes and Pharisees and the religious people. He says, the one without sin cast the first stone. And it says they all began to drop their stones. Thud, 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 one by one. And once Jesus had dealt with every single person that was making her feel um, exposed and making her feel worthless, they had all gone. And Jesus said to her, woman, where are those that accuse you? And she turned around and said, they're gone. Now I think she was probably ready to say, right now, let's deal with this sin. What did he say? Neither do I. Neither do I. What healing that must have brought to her heart. That the Son of God this rabbi that she'd heard about, that had been raising the dead, that had been opening blind eyes, that had been opening deaf ears, that had been feeding thousands and thousands of people with a few fish and bread, said to her, I don't condemn you either. Sort yourself out and don't live like that anymore. It's no good for you. He met the woman at the well. Just an ordinary conversation. 
And in that conversation, he, 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 ex he sort of exposed what was going on in her life. And yet, right in that simple situation, she found forgiveness. He brought forgiveness and soundness into her life. And she went back into the village and said, come and hear a man that told me everything that I'd ever done is washed and forgiven. What encounters Jesus had. Because he was deliberate with everything he said and done. Jesus fed the crowds. He did it all with meaning. There was deep meaning and purpose. You look into the feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the 4,000, there's deep meaning hidden in, on, in them. Not just the fact that people were fed, but there was meaning with the baskets who was left over. And people understood and got the message that he was bringing to that generation. Look at Lazarus. Waited till he died. A message came to him, come to Lazarus. He's about to die. Jesus delayed. Jesus delayed the moment. And when he turned up, everybody thought it was too late. But Jesus knew that he'd arrived right on time. And of course, we know the story that he brought Lazarus back to life. Everything he did had meaning and he did deliberate and communicated well. Listen, cheap comments. And just throwing scriptures at people. And just saying sayings to people are not helpful. And sometimes you can be so guilty of that, of being either passive or just throwing something at people rather than coming out with something that's meaningful. And I used to be so good at that. We, as, as a young man, I was, in my first church, I was called Little Bonky because I was, a, I was quite radical back then. And we, we used to go into the geriatric ward of the hospital every other Sunday afternoon and I remember one particular Sunday and I was preaching in the geriatric ward and one of the one of the old men had died right while I was preaching felt like the apostle Paul and anyway they put the curtain round him and what did I turn around and said who's next and <laughs> who's next and I'm thinking, that's not a great way of communicating the gospel. But I'm thinking, I'm going to take this opportunity. And there was relatives crying and everything else. And here's a, a little man shouting out in the hospital, who's the next one to die? Because you need saving. You need, the, you, know, you need Jesus. There's a better way of communicating. And I'm sure in your life, as I in my life, we come against situations where we, we need to be able to articulate well the hope that is in us. There was a young guy, or is a young guy at work, and him and his wife couldn't have children. And so they tried the process of adoption. And for four years, nearly five years, they'd gone through this long process of adoption. And eventually they were nearly there. And I, I've been journeying with him, or had been journeying with him for about six months. And they'd eventually been given two young children, uh, both under the age of one. Uh, and they got pictures of them, and they were so excited. They'd done all the room up and, and ready to have them. And two days Prior to them having it, his wife got a call into the hospital and said that you've got cancer. And three days later, she was in hospital and they've cut her open 
from here all the way down, right down the chest, and, and took all of the cancer out. They don't know they don't know her longevity at this moment in time. And then in the middle of all that, the adoption, adoption agency called them and said, um, by the way, you will not be able to ever adopt again. And the bottom of his world had totally dropped out from the joy of having these children within two days. His life was totally turned around. And I'm talking to this guy who's just in bits and in tears. And when we're dropped into those situations, we need something good to give. There's another guy at work. And during the pandemic, he lost his mum. Then he lost his dad. And then four months later, he lost his wife. And left with his two teenage boys. And he stood in front of me and saying, Paul, what the heck? And I'm not just going to say, well, you know what? Jesus loves you. <laughs> or I'm praying for you. It's cheap. We need to be able to deliver a real good message of hope into these people's lives. Something that's going to help them. Something that's going to impact them. And something that demonstrates the love, the real true love of God in their life. And very often we can just say flippant, quick comments that actually don't help. And very often turns people off and thinking, if that's all you've got to give me, then I don't want your religion. Esther and I were out several Sunday nights ago and, and met a beautiful lady. She was 85, 86. And when she was a younger woman with two young sons, he, she was in quite a, an abusive relationship with her husband. He was an alcoholic. And, and, and he just ruled her. He dominated her. Um, she, she couldn't buy anything without his say-so. He would never come home for tea. She would plead for him just to come home once a week, just to have tea with her and her two sons. And he said, no, because once I have a drink, uh, once I have me tea, I don't want to drink. And so he would never come home, but restricted every movement in her life. And eventually, there was no help in the church. And she, this is somebody that was going to church. There was nobody that went and helped her. She even rang the pastor several times for help and never received help. And she eventually divorced him. And as a result of all the abuse, both of her sons committed suicide. And she found them both swinging. So here's a woman that has been abused. And she's lost the two of her sons. And she was asking the pastor, what can I do with their ashes? And never once did she have an arm around her. Never once did someone say, listen... Let's help you bury those ashes. I think how sad. How sad that there was nobody there that could step in and demonstrate the love of God into her life. Thankfully now she's in, a, in the church that we went to, just a loving environment. And actually when she attended the church, she thanked the church for accepting her and loving her. And they said, whoa, stop there. 
We want to thank you for being a part of our church because what you've brought in here is love to us. And I want to just encourage us in closing. I've gone slightly over. I want to encourage you. Let's be great communicators of the gospel. And it can be so easy, so easy. I was packing the car up several months ago, going out for a compassion event. My next door neighbor was putting all the soccer kits in the back of his car. And I said, Simon, where are you off? He said, oh, it's football this morning. Just chatting about football. I said, I used to run a team for 10 years, chitter-chattering. And then he said, I'd just like to give all the lads a good chance. And I have problems with the mums and dads because he want me to put the best team out. But I, I want everybody to have a game. I want every child to have a chance at playing. And I went, do you know what? That's, that's great, Simon. And then he said, what are you doing? I said, do you know what? I'm doing the same thing. I said, we're going out with compassion and we want to give every child a chance. And he could straight away relate, even though we were doing a churchy thing and he was doing football, he could relate to that. He went, do you know what? He said, that's brilliant. He said, so what do you do? And we just chat, started chatting. We chatted more about compassion than his football team. And it's been, I'm not saying I'm great at all, by the way, it's just, it's just being switched on. I'm thinking, how can, how can I bring the love of God? How can I demonstrate this God in my life to this man's life? And we need to be deliberate and good at sharing the message that's in our heart. Lord, I thank you tonight for, Lord, what you've done in our lives. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for the relationship that we have with you. And I pray tonight that we would seek that Talmud relationship. Lord, that we would see you as our rabbi and that we would want to walk with you daily and that we would want to watch you daily. And Lord, that we would want to have a deeper understanding of who you are and your love and, and how your love reaches out to this world. That we might understand more about the cross. and We might understand more about the forgiveness that happened on that day. And Lord, as we grasp it and we understand more of it and its depth, Lord, that we would be able to share the hope that is within us with respect and with clarity. And that we'd be able to articulate our faith well. That we might be indeed salt and light in this world, that when we meet those desperate situations in our life, that we might del deliver something that's helpful, that we might deliver something that gives somebody an anchor and gives somebody some hope, and that they might see that there is a hope in our life and a peace in our life that passes understanding, but it keeps our mind in the knowledge of him. And that it might cause a desire in them that they might want such a hope and such a peace in their life too. Help us, Lord, we pray. Lord, I pray for those that are living with unsafe partners tonight. I pray those that are living with partners and husbands and wives and children who have grown cold in the faith. Lord, I pray that we might um, be a, a great um, a great example to them. 
And Lord, I pray that if we can be better at who we are and that we keep away from maybe the arguments and the confrontations, but Lord, that we might be caring and loving and that we might demonstrate more by our actions than by our words. Lord, I pray for everyone that's in that situation tonight that might feel helpless and hopeless. Lord, I pray, Lord, a special blessing on those as they move back into that situation, that home life tonight. Lord, that you would just, yeah, that you would just draw close to them and that they would understand and, and maybe see clearer how that they can be and express the hope that is within them. Lord, help us all, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go out, be the hope of the world. We've come to the end of this week's message. We hope you've been impacted and inspired. Keep up to date with everything that's happening by visiting our website at www.lifechurchwarranty.com.